to episode 57 of the Gold Card Podcast. I'm your host, Vince Colati. With me tonight, John George at the Esports Plug. How are we doing, everybody? Calvin T. in his triumphant return. Hello. He's at Ruler Arsama on Twitter. You can find him there, everybody. Uh, also joining us tonight is Josh Roberts at Roberts number 49 on Twitter. Good evening, y'all. And Chris is not with us tonight, but you can find Chris Chung at Prime LOL on Twitter. So... Another uh, kind of the the surprisingly extended off like mid like middle of the season the break between the two seasons that we I don't think any of us saw coming <laughs> I think we all thought it was just going to go right into summer so it's been a little bit uh, we got the end of EU Masters congrats to who was it it wasn't it wasn't New Surfers the other team uh, the Yellow Star yeah Yellow Star it was LDLC guys yeah, LDLC thank you thank you. <laughs> Oi! Anyway, uh, so EU Masters is done. All the playoffs are done. We're getting all the juicy off-season drama going on, which we're going to go into shortly. But uh, I just wanted to take some time to say, like, how are you guys doing tonight? How's everybody doing tonight? John's John's dialed in on the MMA fights tonight. So yeah, I'm a little distracted. The, uh, the first couple of fights have gone 100% my way for DFS, so I'm a little dialed in on the UFC, but I'll, I'll be here anyway. Well, it's a great return. Um, you know, been been MIA forever, so just work stuff. You know, glad to be back. Glad to be back. Getting back into the mix. He's back yeah, in yeah. the mix. Everyone, everyone's been questioning. Everyone's in my DMs asking where I was. Dude. Everyone just trolling the entire time too about it. It's Perfect funny. timing, just in time for nothing is going on, right? <laughs> like you can't make that shit up, right? Uh, what about you, Josh? What's up? I'm doing good, man. I uh, hit hit a couple new PRs in uh, in league and in TFT this week. Just you know, quarantine things. But yeah, I finally broke through the diamond barrier in TFT. So I feel pretty good about that. Nice, nice. Grats, grats. Yeah, I've just been. I've actually been kind of getting my grind on again too, or at least trying to. But you know, uh, yeah, been playing a lot more, which is kind of good. I need to like every once in a while, I got to remind myself of where I came from a little bit. You know, I gotta get, I gotta get back onto the onto the battlegrounds and, and duke it out then chopping up the azir a little bit trying to anyway it's my new project i'm pretty heavy in the in the league streets these days too because for i spent literally eight years never playing any assassins ever and so i'm trying to learn how to play assassins now because it seems like they decide too many games and i want to try them out and see what see what they're like because you know i i all i always play like control mages and tanks and i never tried playing being an assassin player so that's what i'm working on at the moment if you want to lose some games anybody can message me on twitter and come duo queue with me <laughs> we, we, we can lose some games together. i definitely thought that was going to be the turnaround i thought you'd be like anybody want to lose some games you can queue up at the same time as me and i'll whoop your ass but that's the i got the uh, i got the screen name assassins go <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect topical memes dude topical memes uh, just like Pookie, right? Hey, hey. I. By the way, I love that whole thing. I was going to oh, do that yeah. as its own news article because it's been hysterical how the whole world has embraced it. It's been outstanding. So um, tonight we're going to be – it's mostly going to be a mailbag show tonight. And what, do I, what I mean by that is we're going to be doing mostly listener questions since there's not a whole lot going on. we got a couple pieces of news before that, though. Um, more TSM drama. Uh, I don't. I really don't know how else to explain it, but it's like – so now we're finding out it was leaked via double lift stream. Lena was on the phone or on something on the talking to somebody in the background and said, 
nobody is interested in picking up Dardock, and it's like somebody amplified the sound, pulled the sound forward. You could definitely hear it. It was clear as day, and it was obvious. Now, since then, Reginald came out with a big, long twit longer, saying, like, she doesn't have any control over any of this stuff. Like, everyone's overreacting to this whole thing. We're, I think everybody's kind of seen through that, right? Like, it's clearly some BS going on here. I, I think, and you could go into the whole Thor, Thor and Imani have been teeing off on this whole situation because it's like perfect, like hot stove season drama talk to to stir the fire and get people triggered about whatever they want to get triggered about. I, I think the main thing to remember with all of this is that, like, ultimately, it's not going to matter until we see how they perform in the summer. It's looking like it's going to, like, they're saying Speak is going to be playing now. Like, they haven't officially announced anything, but if this is all true, like, I can't see Dardock wanting to actually play with all this shit going on, right? Yeah, it's it'd be tough to convince Dardock to play and to split time with Spica, who I don't really think has been very good anyway. That's, like, that's a pretty rough ask of a guy who's been in the league a lot of times to split time with a guy that wasn't even really very good in Academy. I'll say, for this whole drama, I was not really that mad at the original leak. Like, I thought it was unprofessional, but I was not, like, super mad at it. The part where I became, like, pretty annoyed about it was when Reginald and his thing said, Lena definitely did not get this job because she was my girlfriend. It's because she's the best person for this job. And that is the most bullshit line I've ever heard in my life. Of course she got the job because she was your girlfriend. Are you telling me there's nobody out there that was more qualified to run this organization? Like, come on, dude. That was the part that really pissed me off was when he tried to justify it like she was some, like, self-made millionaire who's amazing at this job it's like no she got it because she was your girlfriend and then she's done a fine job is what you like don't come out there and try to justify it like there was a hundred amazing candidates and she was the best one like that's obviously not what happened like josh Josh and calvin like what do you like like i i kind of am on the same side as john is like the the thing that's pissed me off about this whole thing is one how like how it's fired everyone up over just something really stupid like admittedly they, they screwed up Right, like this is this is really poorly handled, and leaks happen. That's the thing that's going to happen sometimes. How they've handled it has just been a complete dumpster fire. Like, just don't say anything. Just shut up. <laughs> just like just shut up, and the internet will lose interest in three days. Like that's what that's what they should do. I understand that they have they feel they have to say something, but like, I think they should have just said sorry and just moved on. Yeah, like, exactly. Having hundred percent posts about like about their staff and stuff and how, like, this person does this, this person does that. I, I, that, that. You don't even need to go there. Just, you know, like, as an org, we sincerely apologize for what has happened, you know. Yeah. We'll move on from here on out, blah, blah, blah. And that's it, <laughs> you know. And, like, you know what? I guarantee that pisses the people, like, that's, like, even Dardock. Like, Dardock's the one getting screwed in this whole thing because, like, if anything, this is, like, defamation kind of, right? Yeah, like, you could take this a step further, I think, if you're them. You could do what, what Calvin said and just apologize and say, sorry, this was a mistake. And then make some sort of really positive statement or commitment about Dardock. Like, say something good about him or say, we're going to extend his contract. We're going to guarantee his contract through another year. You know, he's we believe in Dardock. Even he was a great just... player. Just anything you can do to just, like, try to help the only person who really got hurt through all this, which was Dardock. Yeah, instead of just getting seeming – like, honestly, you know what? This comes off as, like, okay, we're really butthurt that people are pissed at how we handle things. Yeah. But, like, you're not the ones getting hurt from this. He's the one getting hurt from this whole thing, right? Yeah. So, that, yeah, I got what frustrated, What's frustrated me about it is that 
like you said, like the, the main focus should be on the fact that Darda just got screwed in any sort of negotiating power he may have had. Uh, they had an agent on with uh, with Thorne and Monty, I believe, and he said that, like, as far as he knows, Darda represents himself. So, like, he already screw over players that represent themselves instead of use agents um, just because, you know, they <clears throat> naturally can. And, and now he just has no negotiating power for himself whatsoever. Uh, so, so that's it. And, and the other thing is like their apologies have been mostly like centered around like, I'm sorry I got caught. Right. Cause like Lena's whole like, yeah, I've done this before, but it just didn't get picked up. And I thought it wouldn't get picked up this time. And like, uh, like, you know, and then they're like, oh, well, everyone on our team already knew that Darda was getting traded. So it's not an issue. And it's like, what can you guys like show any sort of remorse for the fact that you clearly are derailing someone's opportunities. Cause like, I, I, I find it really, really hard for me to believe that all, uh, every other team in the LCS wouldn't be considering Dara. Cause he was, I think for all of us, a top five jungler in the split at, at the very least and maybe even top three. Yeah. I mean, that's the other angle with this whole thing. And like, I mean, so I'll, I'll go to bat for it because I was a Dardock defender this season. Um, like, I'll, I'll hypothetical. I'll just put it out to you. Uh, so, what is what's the jungler's job in a game? What is your primary job in a game of League of Legends as the jungler? Like right now, I think your only real job is to be like relevant for the first fifteen minutes. Not not meaning like you should just play Pantheon, but more so just meaning like you need to be there to help lanes get their initial setups and to be able to contest uh, and out rotate and out farm within the very early stages of the game because. Later on in the game, you're A, you're not farming your own camps anyways, and B, you're becoming effectively a ward, like a vision control player, right? And an engager. But early in the game, you can be looking at, you know, cheeky ganks, trying to counter jungle, looking to get the first dragon early, looking to get the first Rift Herald, stuff like that. But once, I feel like once the second Rift Herald's gone, like, jungle is really another support. John and Calvin, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would say my if I was trying to describe the jungle role, it's kind of like you're the you're your job is to control the map, is what I would say. Let your team know what's going on through warding and, and map movements and help if you need to help but control the map would be my definition of it, I guess. So Yeah, I agree. This was my next level and this is why I had Dardock so high. So like what what was the what was TSM good at this season? Yeah, just early game. I think the early game was fine, but whenever they get to the late game, they just suck ass. The only team that was better than them early in the game was Cloud9. I agree. So, like, for all intents and purposes, he was really good at his job. I had him as the third best jungler in, in the league. I think he. I actually think he was better than Closer too, which is I think a lot of people were a lot of people were high on him. The thing is, I, he kind of suffers from. He kind of has like the Ryu. It's a different kind of scenario, but, like, he kind of has the Ryu treatment where people remember, like, the embarrassingly bad or, like, the severe outplays or the mistakes that happened, right? Like, the bad Pantheon engages 40 minutes into the game. Guess what? That's just going to happen. Like, if you're trying to engage on Pantheon 40 minutes into the game when the game should have been over already, that's not your fault. Like, now, it can be your fault if you didn't get enough done early. But, like, you can't point to something that happened 40 minutes into a game and be like, oh, see, he's bad. Yeah, maybe he should, like, do things better. And I don't want to, like, stand on my head defending him, but, like, it's a shitty thing to point to and define him as a bad player for. Like, I, that's that's my opinion on it. So I kind of think he got a bad um, 
he got kind of a bad draw this split. Like I think he played really well. He was excellent. And there's people that I respect a lot that thought the same thing, that thought he was really, really good this season. Uh, he did what he's supposed to do. It's not entirely on him that their late game kind of fall, fell apart every game. So For me, he had Sven syndrome this thing this season, which is that he wasn't bad overall, but he was like Sven was in a lot of previous seasons. He was really bad in a couple really key moments that were really important, and the rest of the time he was above average. But that, like, it just doesn't make up for it. Like, it if you're really, your yeah. if there, well, if there's five times in the season where you lose your team a game, and the rest of the time you're above average, then it's like you're not worth having. Like, you can just get an above average or average jungler that doesn't cost you five games throughout it. And that's how I felt about him. Was he was not? It's not that he was bad all the time, but he had a couple really bad standout moments that probably single handedly cost him games. Similar to Sven in his previous seasons, where he was fine most of the time, but every once in a while he just loses you a game and. It's usually not worth. It. It's like Wild Turtle too. Kind of is like has always been like that too. Like so, like I think that's yeah, a fair yeah. comp- like comp- a comparison. So like, just for like context, like where would you have like where did you have him amongst the NA junglers? Like I know you were high on closer, which is understandable. That's totally fine and everything. Like, yeah, I think I think I think, Santorin, San, I think Santorin and Blabber were the best, right? Yeah, Santorin Blabber closer. I definitely thought was better. I'm trying to think of who all was in the league. It seems like it's been months since we watched the LCS. Uh, he's probably better than Medios. Probably Dardock, right? Yeah, I think Dardock and Xmithy were interchangeable. Xmithy, yeah, Xmithy was still pretty good this season. So uh, that, but that's the point. Like he's the top at worst. The top at, at worst, he's the fifth best jungler. Mm-hmm. I think he's yeah somewhere fourth through sixth somewhere. He was definitely not the worst jungler in the league. That's for sure. Yeah, like and in, is Spika just going to come? Like, is the combination of Spika and Doublelift going to come in and just completely fix all of TSM's problems? I'm not sure. Like, it's possible that they just. A light switches and they figure out like, oh hey, we just got to do not do this stupid thing anymore, and and they got it. Because I did feel at points in this season that like they were like one mistake in a game away from you know two or three more victories. I said that multiple times this season. So, and I felt like they could they could fix that, and they just didn't. <laughs> they had like RNG syndrome where it's like, oh, I assume they'll figure out their draft mistakes that they've made over and over and over and over again. They have to learn at some point, right? And they never did. It wasn't just that, but there were other things too. But yeah, so I, I don't know. There's a whole – I kind of just think, just to put a bow on this whole thing so we don't spend the whole podcast talking about something that everyone's talked to death for a week. It's – it was a really poorly handled situation, but I, I hate that they've – like everybody else in the situa- involved with it has made it about them and not about Dardock. Like not in an accusational, like, oh, it's his fault way, but they've not – they've pulled all the attention to themselves instead of saying – Hey, this guy's kind of getting screwed by this mistake we made. They couldn't just it, it pisses me off that they couldn't just own it and be like, "Hey, we screwed up. Sorry." And th- honestly, if you just did that, that would be better than what they've done now. People might bitch at you for not saying more, but like that's what like a pro sports team would do, right? They'd be like, "Oh, we screwed up. Uh we apologize to all involved. Uh Dardock has been a an excellent professional and has been nothing but uh, a good player for us or something. Some some bullshit professional answer, right?" Which is bullshit, but you know what? There's a reason that it operates that way, so you don't screw some dude's career over, you know? I don't know. He, I think he's too good to not to like really lose out from this. But And I like to think the talent will win out, but guess what? This organization looks awfully incompetent right now, so I don't even know if I trust that. And if I'm if I'm him, I'm I'm basically going to gonna hold out. I'm going to be like, you guys, no. I'm going to go play somewhere else. But if nobody Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't play their backup. It's well, just... That's- that's what they said he's doing, right? Like they said in their statement that they told him he's either going to 
uh, play academy or split time with Spika, and he said, I would rather go to another team. It was similar to what Double Up and TL did, right? Like he said, I'd rather go to another team and start. Um, Does that make him a, like, I think a lot of people just, people, the other thing with Dardock is that people have this preconception about him from like three years ago. That he's this like ragey, like piss poor attitude guy. We don't know if he's changed that. Publicly, he hasn't done a whole lot to to like. Re- at the very least, he's not publicly publicly making an ass of himself anymore. Yeah. So there was apparently a video, and I haven't gotten to see it yet, but I just heard a synopsis. Apparently, Loco Doco had a video on his channel um, from basically talking about the situation. And I guess like the TSM sports psychologist like was 100% devoted to Dardock all split because very early in the season he had like an insane blow up. Um, so if that's true, then what you just said may, may not that's actually. True. Yeah. That's fair. Oh, well, thank you for mentioning because I, that I didn't know. So yeah, I want to watch it. I need to watch it. I to yeah. I mean, I don't know. This, this whole thing, I just think it was like handled really shittily. And I think that people are like, People, it's just a bad combination of people have this preconception of him to begin with. So he's already fighting an uphill battle in terms of image. And I thought he performed excellently this split. He just made a couple big mistakes that were in the spotlight, which sucks, but, you know, it's whatever. Overall, I think he was great. He was really, he was solid this split. I think he was the reason they won a bunch of games, too. So, like, maybe he lost them a handful, but he definitely won them a few also. Right? So, yeah, this, this whole situation's, I mean... Everyone's talked to death. We don't got to go into it anymore. Anybody got anything else on this, or just let's move on? No, yeah, nothing. Tarzan to TSM. Oh my god, get out of here! Uh, LCK LPL Invitational it has been announced for the I think the twenty eighth of May, the last weekend in May, twenty eighth, ninth, thirty, thirty first. So is that Memorial Day weekend? It's the week after Memorial Day, right? Yeah, week after Memorial Day. Um, six hundred thousand dollar prize pool. What did we say? Like, what did we say a couple weeks, like a couple weeks ago, when we were talking about like we wanted more majors? Why can't yep. we have a prize pool like this for majors, like just in general? Yeah, this is pretty much what we were saying we wanted, right? Like another it little is... mini tournament with just some cash up top, something for people to play for. Yeah, this is exactly what we wanted. Yep. So I'm, 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 and they said they're going to standardize the ping at thirty. I think they said or thirty to forty, whatever it was. So it's even playing field for both. Uh, I'm, I'm stoked for this because I. I legitimately think, and we're, and we're going to talk about this in listener questions, so I guess we'll skip ahead to that, and we'll just go to the next question because we're going to talk about this a little bit more in detail. We know the teams involved. We know the prize pool. We have no idea what the structure is going to be or the actual schedule other than the days. So that's all we know for now. There was a um, – there's another question about this that we'll, we'll skip ahead and do that. Um, Hanwha is promoting their academy top laner, Doodoo. To their main lineup. Uh, I, I joked this. I, I, I said everyone's making, you know, doo-doo jokes and doo-doo-dunga jokes because it's the greatest commercial in the history of commercials ever. But uh, jokes aside, is this the end for Kuve maybe? Or is this Hanwa just saying, like, we want to turn the page? Because that's kind of what it feels like to me. Has has Kuve – the thing for me with Kuve that's weird is has he really had, like, a, a really bad split? No. I feel like he's always been fine. Like, I've never been like, oh, Kuve's really hurting this team. Like, he's always looked fine, but he still always gets subbed out. I don't know if he's, like, if there's an issue with him as a person or if they're just trying to test out their younger guys or if they're just not impressed with him being all right. But it seems like he's been all right to me whenever I've seen him. The thing with Kuve is that he's always all right and then, like, 
the end of summer, he's like a god. Like he's like one of the best top laners in Korea every year. It's like every single year he like clutches it out. Like he's he's um he's like impact. Where he like just doesn't yeah. show up. Like he, I mean he's there. He's not losing. He's not bad, but he's not like he's just a guy for most of the season and then like playoffs roll around and then he just turns into a guy. It seems like he just like turns it on when he wants to. Which I guess could be frustrating. Th- to me this feels more like Hamla just they're not gonna win L C K. I don't think they have any illusions of winning LCK. I don't even think they have any illusions of making playoffs at this point. Even though I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. But I think they are probably going to be better off starting to develop their young talent. They just want to get a look. I, I didn't watch enough Challengers Korea to really get an eye on this guy, so well, I don't really know. With the whole Griffin thing with Viper, Tarzan, where do you think Viper's going to go since Zenit left? This is interesting. This is an interesting angle. Um, so... It was it was a Viper, a Tarzan, and somebody else left too. Did Sword Lee? No. It was. I think it was just. Vi- I think Viper and Tarzan were the only ones that were announced. Like they're out, right? Yeah, I think so. Right? Not yeah. not Yuka and Nehun yet. Yeah, I assume that they're going to do the same thing. So like these guys are all good. Like they're going to go somewhere. They would all be upgrades on a lot of these teams. I think. Uh, I I speculated Yukao to Afrika. I think that would be a massive upgrade. He's already been with that organization before. I think that would be a perfect fit for them. I think they'd be instant playoff team, probably, unless KT continues to be good. Anyway, um, yeah, that was just a little thing. Kind of a big one, uh, Kabe, back to Misfits. This was a... I got to be honest, like, he was too good to not go somewhere, but didn't it feel weird to go back to Europe now? Had to go back to Europe, right? Yeah, I guess, but, like, it just feels weird. I, like, I, I would go back to Europe, dude. If they took me over to North America and did did me like North America did him and he's he, and he gets a shot to go back to Europe, I would 100% just go back home. Yeah, and Misfits has a good roster himself to be honest with you, and they're a playoff playoff team as well. So it's not like he's going to, like, some shitty team. That's and he's true. going back home. So I I like to move. Isn't it weird that, like, I don't know, because I thought B-Boy had a pretty good season, which is, like, the other angle to this whole thing. Like, I thought he was one of the better AD carries in Europe this season. I mean, Kabe's probably an upgrade still. but uh, And he, by the way, he's, like, out. Like he didn't. He's not even like a sub. Like he did, he was just out. Like his contract. I don't know if his contract was up, yeah. but it says his contract is he left. So he's he's a free agent right now. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go somewhere either because he was he was pretty good this season. He had probably the best season I've ever seen him play, and I've seen him. It was yeah. all small region stuff. So I think it's the sad part of this TSM stuff is just the trickle down effect it's had. Like. Because now, basically, like, first it's Kabe is getting screwed over, and now it's B-Boy is getting screwed over, right? So, like, that really sucks for him. Um, you know, not that much time. I guess they have, what, approximately a month left to find a team and stuff. But even still, like, I don't know. I, it's not great. Um, so, yeah, I feel bad for him. I, I didn't think B-Boy was very good this way. I actually thought he was, like, pretty clearly their worst player on Misfits, at least. Uh, and, like, compared to the other – other eighty carries, I, I think I had him probably honestly, maybe above like Comp, Forgiven, and Inax. But like I don't know if I'd put him above anyone else, honestly. 
I just don't think he was like I I I, I should reiterate. I don't think he was banned. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't think he was. I mean, I just thought he was like, you know, a, like a, I think he was like a, like turtle in in the LCS. Yeah, so Serviceable. Like he, yeah, he's just there. But yeah, it, I don't know. It, it just feels bad for him for sure. Does this change you guys' outlook on misfits in general? I mean, I think it's a decent size upgrade where they're going to be better this season, but I don't think it's like the problem is they're they're in Europe, dude. Like they're not going to be G two, they're not going to be Fnatic. So I don't know. Maybe they're slightly more competitive with Origin. It's just a really tough spot to be in for European teams, I think. Yeah, I kind of think this is a weird one because you have to tie in the fact that they're they're probably going to improve a little bit because I think the younger guys are just going to be another split better. Now the counter argument to that is people have another split to study these guys and figure them out. So it's going to be on Razork and Dan Dan to evolve with everyone else adapting to them, which we saw they kind of struggled with a little bit as they started facing the better teams. So that's kind of an interesting angle. Like maybe they get a little bit better and all of a sudden the middle of the table in Europe is highly competitive, um, even more so than it already was. So, but you're right though. Like I feel like so many of these moves are just like lateral moves or like slight upgrades. I guess that's all you can really do unless you're throwing a boatload of money at somebody. So I, I don't know. I don't. I, I think it, it does move the needle a little bit. I think it's definitely an upgrade, right? I do think – I'm actually not, just not so sure just because of the style that they played, right? So <clears throat> Misfits was a uh, fairly early game team, which is what TSM was too, and I don't think anyone would say Kabi looked outstanding in that environment, right? Like we've, we've spoken at length before about like he was great on Slice where they were a game a team playing the 40 minutes when he's going to have four items and can just sit back and unleash damage. But when you're a team that's playing to like you want to win games by – 29 to 32 minutes or, you know, 29 to 30 minutes, 28 to 30 minutes, something like that. Like, I don't know how Kabe performs that environment, honestly. And I think, I, I think they kind of stay similar, right? Like, I think the top four has a decent gap between Rogue and Misfits. And I think, uh, Schalke having a season, a full split without Forgiven could actually compete for that last playoff spot. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. I do kind of think that middle of the table, the, the fighting for those those other three playoff spots is going to be actually really interesting. Uh, Cal, any thoughts on Kabi and Misfits? No, I just like I said, I think it's a pretty it's an upgrade for Misfits in my opinion. I think it brings something more than what Bevoy would. So that's just me. The peak of this team, I think, is really good. Like the weird thing for them this season, just as a small thing, is I thought that Dan Dan was going to be one of the standouts this season, and he was one of their worst players. And I thought Fabiven was going to be a super weakness and he was one of their best players. So it's like, if you can get what we were expecting from Dan Dan this season, what we got from Razork this season, what we got from Kabe 2019 spring, you know, you mix all that stuff together, you got a pretty high ceiling lineup, but who knows if you're going to get all the best of everybody, you know? Yeah. This feels like a team that's like going to be good sometimes. And then like, they're just never going to be able to piece it all together consistently, but who knows? Maybe they do. Maybe there's like a natural chemistry. All right, um, that was all the big news topics I wrote down. Uh, I don't think there was anything else. We talked uh, EU Masters we we mentioned, but we've talked a lot about EU Masters. So um, let's go ahead and get into listener questions, and that's going to be the rest of the show. Spoiler alert. Um, so I want to give a shout out from EU Masters. Just one shout yeah, out. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's it's for the coach of LDLC. I just wanted to give him a shout out because the the matchup against Rogue. I always shit on coaches all the time. So this time I just wanted to. Give a shout out because in the match against Rogue, 
when I was doing my my research for the DFS slates, I noticed that Rogue had zero wins when Chekalad wasn't on Syndra against everybody except for Diffuse Kids, who everybody just beat anyway. But when they weren't playing against Diffuse Kids, they had no wins unless Chekalad was on Syndra. And so that slate, I was just like, I put in all LDLC lineups, and I was just like, please, LDLC coach, please notice that they never win when Chekalad's not on Syndra. And he banned Syndra every game. Great job, LDLC coach. Thank you very much. It didn't turn into some sort of $50,000 payday for me, but it was so nice seeing the Syndra band when I based all my lineups on you seeing that. Confirmation of the assumption of rational coaching always feels so good. Yes, thank you. so good. All right. um, Get that man a job somewhere. TSN? Yeah. Get him on a team, man. Get him on a team. Um, All right. So, bunch of listener questions. We had a whole bunch of people. I'll be shouting the Twitters out as we go. But a lot of good ones. Uh, some we're going to go into more depth on than others. But here we go. So touching back on the news article, we have at LCS Picks. Um, Alan, thank you for the tweet. It says, speculation on the yet-to-be-named MSI filler tournaments that were hinted at in the LPK or LPL LCK invitational announcement. I kind of didn't – I mean, <laughs> I don't think there was really that strong of a hint. And I don't know how practical it would be for there to be, like – an invitational term between like Europe and North America, just because the ping is a much more drastic issue. Even if you normalized it, it would be like a hundred ping, which for professional players is unacceptable. I played on a hundred ping for like six years and like it's noticeable and it sucks and I'm not even that good. So yeah, I don't think it could really happen unless it was just like purely exhibition. Like you couldn't put anything online. I don't even think you could put any money online to be honest with you with that kind of ping issue. Especially because a lot of these guys are used to playing with zero ping, or like solo queue, they're playing with like you know fourteen, you know something like that. So uh, I don't know if there's going to be anything else besides this. Maybe the smaller leagues like PCS and Oceania could get something going or something like that. But I don't think there's going to be an EU NA one. Um. Who gets gold, silver, and bronze in the LOL World Cup? So players play by their birth or naturalized countries. Naturalized countries would make this more interesting. We talked about this a lot. So before go before yeah, before we recorded the podcast, <laughs> I, I actually love this question um, so much that I think we want to we're gonna push this to next week, and I want to like try to make like a bracket with like all the different. I make like let's make like a sixteen team bracket. Yeah, we were going through, like, every country being like, wait a minute, who's Bulgaria got? Who's over in Bulgaria? Yeah, so, like, <laughs> just, like, at, as a cursory look, like, the teams that looked pretty str- – obviously, Korea looks really, really good. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that, like, most of the top players – like, not most, but, like, about half of the top players in China are Korean players still. So – and in, like, North America, a lot of them are Europeans, etc. So it's kind of hard. If you go by naturalized, it's a little bit different. Because then China gets guys like Rookie and and the shot. Well, not the shot yet, technically, right? No, not yet. But I'll say the the thing that stood out to me was that Europe gets screwed because China is China and Korea is Korea and Europe is like fifty different countries. So it's like, wait a minute, is per- where's Perks always on the Croatian team? Anybody else with him over there on the Croatian squad? So Europe kind of gets screwed, but they still have some good teams. We'll talk about that heavily next week. Yeah, just a couple couple highlights, but yeah, we're gonna lay lay them out. But a couple couple of the highlights, I think the team from Denmark, the Danes would be very strong. Broxa, Wonder, Frog and Caps, Bjergsen, Jensen. Even if you go by non naturalized, like it's still Broxa, Wonder and Caps, which is kind of ridiculous. So that's pretty good. Sweden would have Reckless Finn and Larson. 
Germany would have upset in Kaiser. Yeah, see, so you got some – the French team would be really good. The Polish team, self-made Yankos, Vander, inspired, and, like, anybody you want from Kick Neosurf. Yeah, interesting. Interesting stuff. So, um, yeah. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna like get, we're gonna have to go through and like figure out who's on who and like who would be our all this country team, and put something together and we'll do like a little bracket. And I think that could be a fun thing for next week. So I know we're pushing the answer to next week. I hate to cop out on it, but I think it would take a lot of time for us to do this now. And we already spent like twenty minutes for the cast trying to figure this out. So all right, um, at once, Harvey. Uh, love you, Harvey. Best questions. So he says, did John leak the esports department news Lena style on the podcast this year with dogs and us listeners just didn't pay enough attention? Well, Harvey, if you go back and listen to what the dogs are saying, you have to play it backwards. You have to change the pitch frequency. And if you do that, you're going to hear some real stuff. There was some real stuff going on, but you got to play it at, at 1.75 X speed too. Otherwise to start, it doesn't quite sound right. You have to start at 1154 at night. That's the only time. <laughs> but go back, give it a shot. You'll hear what I'm talking about. It's it's big stuff. Uh, I guess we'll just skip the because Harvey asked another really good question. Do you guys want to save that one for last? Because yeah, let's do that one last. Yeah, because I, I I love that question. It's, I think my favorite one of the ones we got this week. So, um, at JLC11 underscore, who's asked questions before? Thank you for the question. Uh, will there be any important signings between now and the start of LPL LCK? I think the short answer is probably. Uh, there's a lot of pretty big free agents out there, like Uzi. Yeah, I, I kind of answered this on Twitter, but the big like I think because of the COVID stuff, you're not going to see nearly as many as you normally would. Agreed. They do tend to be way more in the off season versus in between spring and summer. Like after Worlds, literally like 50% of the teams in the world just shake their entire roster in between Worlds and next spring. We usually have a decent amount of changes between spring and summer, but the COVID stuff is stopping a lot of people from moving. So we'll have to see if there's a lot of them or just a few or what. Yeah, I think most of the time the the bottom teams that aren't contenders will make a lot of changes to either to younger players, prospects, stuff like that, or like they'll try to shake things up. But uh, more often than not, yeah, like it's not worth changing midseason. Plus, most contracts are about a year or like year long. Like one year, there were like one year contracts, twelve month contracts, so that expire after Worlds, like mid November. Um, I would assume there's still going to be some stuff, though, just maybe not as much as we normally get. Josh, yeah, I definitely think we do. Any speculation on big moves? Is Uzi retiring? Uh, well, I already leaked it on Twitter, like maybe two months ago, about Uzi going to uh, Victory Five. And then Tarzan going to Invictus Gaming, so. Tarzan, I, that's what you want to see, Dope. I would love that. I just think that, I think Uzi, Uzi has to go to a contending team. I think they're gonna, some team's going to have to sign him for at least one year, but with all like the issues that he's had with like injuries and stuff, I don't know how long he's going to be able to last because how, how are you going to rely on someone who just gets injured? He you know just I mean? took six months off. What just about an LCS finalist, Cal? What if Uzi popped himself onto an LCS finalist? Man. I'm going to go ahead and just say my prediction. I think it's going to be OMG. Yeah, that wouldn't be that surprising. Although, oh, yeah. oh no, OMG. Okay, OMG. Okay. I was thinking EDG. That'd be a good fit on OMG, especially the way they like to play. God, Although, I don't to... know. He might need he might need more map help the way he plays. He, he plays really aggressive. 
not make the playoffs, then OMG is perfect for him because I'm, I'm tired of believing in OMG rosters every single split. So yeah, I don't know if you. Now I'm thinking about it. I don't know if he'd be a good fit, other than maybe demanding attention so he would get OMG to stop laning for three seconds and actually move on the map. Like he would just demand it because that's how he is. That's anyway. That's my speculation because OMG I think actually has the money to throw at this situation. And all the other LPL teams that have a boatload of money don't really need an idiot. Maybe Billy Billy. Billy Billy's an organization with a boatload of money. Like, they're a big company, so... Billy Billy freed up their AD carry spot, didn't they? Yeah, they they moved Jinja to support. support? Yeah, so... They got an AD carry spot open. I mean, that would be... Assuming Jinja makes the transition, well, that could be a pretty dope bot lane, too. Yeah, I dig that. Actually, I, I that's a pretty good uh, – that'd be interesting too. I could see that. So I think those are probably the two most likely landing spots. Any other dark horses? LGD. FlyQuest. Free I, up an import spot. FlyQuest, TSM. <laughs> How funny would it be if it was TSM and double <laughs> lift goes somewhere else? That would be the only thing to make this more dramatic, right? Double lift has to split time with Uzi to see who's going to play on the Academy squad. That would be the dankest timeline, right? <laughs> Josh, confirm dankest timeline, Uzi TSM. I would retire. <laughs> oh, that would be dankest. Oh, man. All right. Uh, Adfu Honky says, oh, Adfu Honky had two questions, but I'm going to, out of respect, omit the second one because it was a little. You know, I'm not above swearing. I'm not above talking about big picture issues, but I don't go to those kind of things. That's just not my style. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyone who's reading Twitter can go and look and find out. Yeah, but, no, I'm with you. I'm with you on this one, Gelati, because I don't think people realize. Like, I don't have almost any followers on Twitter. Like, I have I have a very small number, and even me, like, I just get like these ridiculous like hate tweets for no reason, and that's all that those girls get. Like, that's all that they get is those kind of posts all the time. That's got to be so disheartening when you go out and work so hard to get good at something and you try your best and you want to see what people thought of your performance and they're just like, look good in that top. Like, that's just like just a terrible response to what's going on. So we'll avoid that one. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll dodge that one. We love you anyway. Yeah. Uh, However, his other question is, is Cal back or is this clickbait? Because you got me hooked. (laughs) Calvin, your thoughts. I'm back. Uh... Thanks, John. I appreciate it. I know you've been uh, you've been missing me. I know a lot of people have been missing me, but I'm back. Just like I said, work's been been really bad with just obviously the whole COVID thing and just being in like the health industry, being a pharmacist. So it's you know it's been hectic. But now that things are kind of getting back to normal a little bit here and there, but you know I am back. I am back. So don't have to worry. You'll get some hot takes for the summer split. Good, he's hooked. Got a real, real. <laughs> thank you for the question. Uh, John, right? John Fuhonky. Yes. Yeah, thank yes. you for the, Fuhonky. for the, at Fuhonky. Thank you. Always, Fuhonky, always active on Twitter, always asking the listener questions and has probably the funniest review I'll ever read. I'm putting the challenge out there because you guys are still slacking on reviews, but uh, he's probably got the best review we've ever read or at least the most entertaining one. So uh, you guys all got to step your game up. Those are rookie numbers. All right. Uh, at Prime, Chris asked questions since he couldn't be here tonight. So he says, talk about the importance of shot calling. What quality does a player need to possess? Uh, I presume to do that. And then when the comms go silent, is it GG? Well, when the comms go silent, is it GG? Is most likely the case unless you're winning by a lot. Uh, so that answers that pretty straightforward. Can I, 
can I piggyback yeah. on Prime's question? Because yeah. this is a question that I know very little about. I've never played Counter-Strike, or, uh, sorry, League at a very high level. I play for fun in solo queue. And there's something that sticks out to me as a solo queue player that I would like to know if this is what a shot caller is doing. So I am awful at knowing about anything that's going on on the map that is not my next CS and my opponent's health bar. <laughs> like, that is what I'm concentrated on at all times. How am I going to get this next CS and effectively trade with my opponent? And there are plenty of times when a jungle fight is happening just into the river, and I am completely oblivious to that. I know pro players that's not happening to, but essentially is the shot caller's job just to make everyone aware of all that stuff so that they can focus on the things that are going on in their lane and still have the information that they need to have without having to constantly pay attention to what's going on everywhere else. So <laughs> it's a complicated answer, obviously, because it's different for every team. But uh, generally, there are feet. I call like I call them feeders, not like feeders that are inting, but feeders um, that are feeding information. And then there are people communicating. There's usually one or two people that are communicating what to do with that information. Uh, a lot of teams will have someone that's like a big picture uh, shot caller, like someone that's like, okay, like this is going to be the next thing that we're trying to do. But generally speaking, it's a bunch of people feeding information, usually to the jungler, is what ends up happening a lot of the time, just because it's convenient. Because they don't have to concentrate as, as much on their, their micro stuff. They can just look at the map and do things that way. Um, every team does it differently. But typically, the characteristics of a good shot caller are people that understand how to digest all that information and make a decision based on it that's clear, concise, and to give good, clean directions to everybody. Uh, sometimes that means being hyper-decisive, even if it's a play that's not optimal, a la Dwayne B, Right? Uh, a lot of times FPX will make plays, and even if you go back to Dwayne B's previous teams, like, they would make plays that were way suboptimal, but it just didn't matter because, like, they just dogpiled. Like, everyone was on the same page. It was, like, one person playing, right? Um, it's about being able to analyze all the information, all the variables that are happening, and make a decision. I will say these days you don't usually have one guy doing everything anymore. That's, like, a thing of the past. Uh, most of these teams will have one dom. They'll have like one dominant voice that's like the final say in things. But generally speaking, it's everybody's at such a high level and high understanding that there's usually like you know two or three people that are talking a lot, and everyone's like most people are contributing information and talking. So I know it's kind of like a gray area answer. It's kind of like a non clean answer. But the characteristics you need are you have to have an understanding of of what's going on in the game, where you stand how you can lose, how you can win, and what you need to do to enable your win conditions while denying the other team's win conditions. So, sounds real simple. It's a lot more complicated when you're in the moment, as anybody that's played knows. It's it's a lot harder to do all of this stuff and think about all this stuff and focus on what you're doing, which is, I think, one of the big differences between playing in organized play and like playing in solo queue. Uh, there's a lot of guys that... They might have outstanding map awareness. They might have outstanding game understanding. They might have great mechanics. But when you add that extra layer of dealing with all the other communication going into it, they just don't have it. And that's where you kind of see the transition of, like, the – or the lack of transition from, like, good solo queue players to good professional players. Or that it takes a little while for them to get comfortable doing all of that. Um, yeah, so that's generally, I think, you know, the, that's the characteristics you need to have. It's It's a lot. It's not just like, oh, man, this person needs to be a fearless leader. That certainly helps, but a lot of the guys doing this stuff aren't necessarily that. They're just experienced and practiced at it. So it's just like anything else. you got to work at it. What, what would you think, just a 
off-the-wall question, but what would yeah. you think if they wanted to put a sixth person in the comms during the match? <laughs> and make Coach like a position so, that was actually in the game. Call of Duty used to have that. Yeah, where I was going to say. They had the booth, and then they would, you have your four guys, four players, and then your fifth guy was the coach, and he would plug into the mix amp, which attaches to all everyone's, uh, obviously, daisy chain. And he was able. <laughs> That's a throwback, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they all because they daisy chain. So everyone was, you know, he's able to feed stuff, you know, mid game, you know what I mean? Like tell people to rotate or like, hey, you know, like this guy is like pushing this lane, this guy's pushing that lane, or like an SD, you know, search and destroy. It's like round by round. They'll be like, all right, well, their plan is to do this, to snipe this alley, blah, blah, blah. So I think. I think it helps a lot, especially in a slow paced game like League of Legends. You know what I mean? I, I, it would be insane. Yeah, that could be really interesting, like that, because there there would be people that would definitely be better than other people at that, and it would make for like an interesting advantage or disadvantage that teams could have to have a really good or really bad coach in there with them. But I don't know, just in the random. Yeah, this of. this was like a really big topic like four or five years ago. I don't know if you remember this at all, but like this was like a big thing when they first made like on. I guess it was longer than that. It was like six or seven years ago. Now I'm thinking about it. Jeez, <laughs> um, this was like a really big topic when they first made like they made it basically a requirement that you had to have an on stage drafting coach. It was like really when the franchising started happening and they moved to the LCS like the league model and everything. Um, when they initially did that, there weren't like there it wasn't like required to have a coach for like the first split. And then most teams had them. And then like every team had them because it was just beneficial to. And then as soon as that happened and everybody all of a sudden had a coach and the coach's names were getting put up on the thing. So people knew who they were. This was a topic of discussion back then that came up all the time. They'd be like, yo, how cool would it be if this would happen? And this would happen. This would happen. I think it'd be interesting to try out. Uh, I know when I've done coaching in the past, I've done like a hybrid of both. Uh, I know I mean, Josh, I can talk to Josh. Josh, uh, I was just helping Josh's team out with this a little bit. Um, did you find it beneficial to have somebody in comms giving you even basic direction? Because I didn't give you guys too much. I just tried to give you, like, a direction. Was that beneficial? Yeah, that's a, I was going to use my own personal experience because, like, I'm a pretty low-level player. But, obviously, our team, Joe already mentioned, we just recently went through, like, a coaching session with him, like, during game. And I play jungle. Too, so I try to, <clears throat> for the most part, be the shot caller. But especially at the lower level, like it can be just so overwhelming to try to watch and understand what every lane's doing and try to predict how your laners are playing. Um, and even like at the highest level, like some of the best junglers in the world aren't great at it, right? Like uh, LS has talked in the past about how like communication is one of the most overrated aspects in pro play because he believes that junglers should get good enough of the game and people should play like cross-functionally and other roles that they can just look at a lane and understand the lane state and what's going to happen, but you don't see it. So like it can be very difficult, but yeah, like having Gelati just sitting in the columns for us in one game and just like we were discord sharing our screen. Uh, he just like made a couple calls that were just like, what the hell? Like things that you, you see it immediately already says it, but you wouldn't before. And it was actually funny. It's like one of them was, we had a Varus on our team. He just backed and finished Rageblade, and we got, like, a pick on, like, three people. And he's like, he has Rageblade, just go do Baron at, like, 20 minutes, 21 minutes, like, right after spawn. And we just melted it down. And then, like, literally the game later, the next week in practice, I was like, do you have Rageblade? All right, let's take Baron. So it's, like, just stuff like that you would never really think about. And then <laughs> the funniest one was there was this one time when Jelani's, like, they're on Baron. And, like, like right when he finished the word Baron, it was like, and he just slain Baron Nash. And I was like, 
<laughs> but yeah, it, I think it's just like, you can get really caught up in like a bunch of different little things. And like, it can be things, you know, right? Like, Oh, Baron's up as a jungler or 80 carry. I should never show bot lane, but then you're like, Oh, there's a bot lane wave crash. And we got to go shove this out. And then you're like, Oh crap. Right. So it's like, there are little things, you know, even, you know, as a player that sometimes you can just get caught up in missing because you see, oh, we could get a pick here and turn that into X, Y, Z or something. But don't realize that it could just be bait so that yeah. you can't. It's like that processing speed, right? Like there's just a whole lot going on and sometimes you can lose track of stuff. So in that aspect, I, I kind of, it'd be cool to see at like an invitational event where, especially if you have like a, they should do this at like Rift Rivals or not Rift Rivals. They should do it at like, uh, like All-Stars or something where you have a mixed roster that's not from one team. I think that'd be really cool to have a coach sit in and comment just to like test this out. And if you have like a mixed roster and a coach in comms and they're a, and, and you watch that all-star event and these teams look like clean and crisp, then all of a sudden this becomes like a really interesting idea. Right. And I think like the, the player coach thing that we've kind of seen recently with, uh, I think so was solo initially brought on as a coach. And I know Pogelter was, but like we've kind of seen teams shifting a little bit towards it. Um, and obviously like most of the coaches in the leagues anyways are former players for the most part, but like I think it would actually become a lot more valuable to have that experience in this case. So it would be interesting to see. I think at the very least it'd be interesting to try out. It's something that got, like I said, like this, this was a big topic of conversation for like six months back when this all first started happening in like 2013, 2014, right? So and I, I have, it's funny this came up because I haven't I haven't heard this like discussion in a long time so it's kind of cool to bring up. Uh, at May t- or Matt twenty four Ray says predictions for the LCK LPL Invitational winner. So he had a, he had a couple questions. I'm going to separate this into into big picture ones. So uh, just at the sake of you know for brevity, not that we're about that. Like a couple sentences each on your guys' thoughts for the LCK LPL Invitational. I'll go first if you guys want to. Unless you guys sure, have something. So, I have like a couple. My hottest take for this whole thing is don't automatically assume the LPL teams are going to smash everything. They're going to be favorites. You should look at the numbers and analyze based on the numbers if you're betting the games. Because I think the LPL teams are probably going to be a little bit overrated. Are they better? Probably. But I think the numbers are going to be way inflated because everyone thinks the LPL teams are just going to smash. To me... The best of the best teams in both these regions are all very, very good. I could see there's eight teams at this tournament. I could legitimately see any 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 of the top six teams winning it, and it, I would not be surprised in the least. I think RNG and Damwon are outclassed big time in this tournament. I don't know if you guys agree with that. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, with that. yeah like, and that that's like that's like how I'm approaching this big picture is I'm not assuming the Chinese teams are going to beat everybody. I don't think any of these top teams have a substantial edge on one another. It's all relatively close to me. Uh, if you think stylistically one region has an advantage over the other one, then by all means bet that way. But to me, I think this is going to be a much closer tournament than people think besides those bottom two teams. That's my take on it. Yeah, I think it's interesting because we don't know the structure yet, yeah. right? So, like, we don't know if it's, like, Rift Rivals where it's literally, uh, you know, LPL versus LCK. Or if it's like actually seeing, or if it's like an eighteen tournament, and we're seeing which one gets first place. Like we don't, we don't have any idea of how that's going to shake out. So like, it's hard to predict anything based on that. 
I do think it'll be interesting. And I think it'll just be more fun than anything. I think we'll see some weird picks come out. I think the shy versus nuggery is always something that people are going to look forward to. I think that's actually, honestly, I think that's the only reason you include the fourth place teams here is because like I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter about people wanting to see the shy versus nuggery. Um, so yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Yeah. If, uh, it feels like the LPL should be favorites. I could definitely see SKT winning the tournament. Gen G, I'm a little bit worried. I have not liked Gen G reacting to aggression, and the Chinese teams bring more aggression than any of the Korean teams. So I'm a little bit worried for them. Dragon X, I could I could see if they if they have a good tournament. They definitely have the laning power to fight the LPL teams. So yeah, I think the Korean teams have a shot. I, I do think the LPLs should be favored rightfully, but what I mean, Knight wins, right, though. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. He's it's it's a conflict of interest, really, if he wins since he's the CEO. But it's you know, it's crazy. Mean, like, who's that's the, capitalism. Who's the worst? Who's the worst mid laner in this tournament? Showmaker. Showmaker. Funny you mentioned that. This is a total bait. This is a total bait. I don't, I don't know if you can tell. Funny you mentioned that. I love the story. Because currently, Showmaker is leveling a new account to Challenger is like a little short of 500 LP in Grandmaster, and he's only playing a single game on every champion. That pissed me off because this has been... <laughs> How did that piss you off? Because Only because this has been a dream of mine, dude. I'll tell you. I've done this like 20 times in my life where I commit, and I'm like, I want to play. I want to start on a fresh level 30 with every champion and start at the beginning of the alphabet and play one game on every champion. Easy. And it's like my, I love it, dude. Like the theory of it, I love it so much. And this is what happens every time. You play your first game, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And then you get in a patch where it's like Azir, Anivia, like some champions that you just don't play. You just go 0-12 and completely cost your team the game. And I just go, I can't do it anymore, dude. I can't, I can't just like hit and feed every single game. I'm out. Like I quit like less than 25 champions in every time just because I'm like, I'm like five and seventeen, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I can't do it anymore. We're not going to get anywhere with this. I was, say, I was like, last year I remember watching John doing this, but then he just like stopped, and I was like, wait, what happened? That's why, because I want it to be like at least competitive. Like I want my record to be like you know twelve and twelve, where it's like, oh, can I end up positive? And so when you get to the point where you're like five and seventeen, it's just not fun anymore. You're like, yeah, I'm just gonna end up in bronze four, you're just and- ruining everyone <laughs> else's time too. Yeah, just ruining everyone's games because you're in there on Anivia, not knowing how to do anything with her, just going zero eleven every game. It was more fun. I'll tell you, I did the same thing like five or six years ago, and it was much more fun back then because people weren't as good. Now you, you pick up the Anivia, and your opponent is like a one million mastery Yasuo player, and they just run you down immediately at level one, and then you're just like screwed for the rest of the lane. Kind of a callback to our to Chris's question um, about the shot calling and just like general player knowledge. You need someone that knows a lot about the game. Kind of an interesting trend with the switch to queuing for two roles, basically. Uh, dynamic queue, they call it, uh, in solo queue. Like, before in solo queue, you would just queue up, and you would just throw five people in a game, and then in the game lobby, you had to decide who was doing what. So, like, you would, like, literally link your profile and be like, see, I'm really good at this, let me play mid lane, or see, I'm really good at this, I'm the best jungle Yasuo player, like, whatever. Oh, like, if, you, if you didn't play back then, it was a wild west. Glad. Be glad, because you think you lose a lot of game to, like, enters and feeders now. Imagine when a guy queues up who only plays Yasuo and no one will give him mid. Yeah, oh, and, yeah. He's a, and, he's a, and he's a diamond. It's in diamond, <laughs> and he's playing against a jungle main that's played, like, 4,000 games on, you know, whatever. You know how many games I lost because in champ select, the, somebody spams out mid super fast, the next guy says mid, and then the next guy's like, no, wait, I'm a, I am play Diana. That's, I'm a best yeah. mid in the world. 
guy's like, no, fuck you. And then the other guy's like, <laughs> anyway. And that you lose so many games that way before they create so, this. So here's the wild thing about this, though, is when you get to high elo, you can't just get your roll every game. You can't even get your secondary roll every game because it's not that at the time there weren't that many players. So when you got the high elo, you legitimately had to know how to do everything. A lot of people don't know this, but double lift started off as like a blitzcrank main, right? Because when you got to high levels, you just kind of had to learn how to do everything. And I know LS has talked about this a lot. A bunch of other analysts have talked about this a lot. There's kind of been a shift nowadays because of the the homogenization of the solo lanes and a lot of the solo laners are mixing things. A lot of the 80 carries are playing mages back in the day. Like I'm going to sound like an old man back in my day or whatever. We had to walk up uphill both ways in the snow to get to the Taiilo or whatever. Right. But really I would say like generally speaking back in the day, most higher level players were way more well-rounded at the game. So they understood a little bit more about each role. Now, there was also half the champions there are now back then, so that's a different angle. You have to know, know fewer matchups. Um, the people that are specialists are way better now than they used to be, which is crazy too. So, but I do think there was a little bit lost in translation there about like pe- there are people that legitimately just like haven't played roles ever. Like they'll play five hundred games and they've played support once. So, and guess what? Like if you have to play eighty carry, you don't know what the support's going to do. You don't know what this person's going to do. Like if that's like your fourth. So I, I think it would behoove a lot of people to to explore and do different things. But, yeah, that's a that's a whole different conversation. But it kind of tied back into this a little bit. I just wanted to mention it. Um, Calvin, who do you think is going to win? Who, so what your thoughts on this LCK, the Invitational, the Asian Invitational? Uh, I think it's good. I think it's good that they're doing it right now. And, uh, you know, just on time. And Any thoughts on a winner? Car. Oh, yeah, JDG. No, hands down. Reasonable. Do you do you th- feel the same way I that think, it's like six? It's I, like six teams that are pretty close, and then two teams that don't belong there. Yeah, I, I it sucks because I want IG to win, but I don't. I don't think they're gonna win. I, I there's a lot of LCK teams like Dragon X, and especially T One can take it to IG, which upsets me. I damn one's definitely the weakest out of all. So yeah. I like, want so to. I'm I'm curious with you guys now. Like, who are the bottom three teams? Because I think the bottom two, we, do, it's RNG and Damwon, right? Do, are we, is that unanimous? In some I'm pretty, order, I'm pretty IG bottom three. I think IG is the, is that third one. Yeah, it could be Gen G because of the matchups. Like Maybe. like I said, I don't like Gen G matching up against these teams. But yeah, that that's totally reasonable. I think, but yeah, I would say Gen G actually before IG. Okay. I feel- IG would thrive in this because I feel like people play looser at these type of events, and that's like how IG always play. That's true. So that's kind of my angle on IG. Uh, takeaways from EU Masters: just that LDLC's coach is great for for that. But uh, no, there's definitely some players in there that I think should end up on teams. There was a, an interesting conversation on Twitter about Tinks, who I think was clearly the best jungler in the tournament, and we were talking about getting him on a team, and someone did say that. He said in his post-game interview that, like, it's a little bit sketchy because if you pick him up right now, you're picking him up in his metagame when his champions are in favor and you're, like, he maybe looks better now than he would look, like, in any other metagame. So maybe it might be a mistake to pay him a bunch of money, but I don't think you have to pay him a bunch of money. So I think he looked good. I think Checkalad on Rogue looked really good. Shalatan uh, looked really good. Pookie style was decent. Ice Beasto was very good. There's a lot of players in there that I think we could definitely see in the – in the LCS or LEC, who was the who was the inter? Was it Bando? That, yes, 
the most undeserving tournament winner of all time. That guy on LDL. He was uh, like maybe the worst top laner in the entire event. Maybe it was like pretty close. Just got hard carried by his team at all times. It was pretty rough. He won. Uh, who was it? Was it LS that was doing this award or a veteran who was giving out the uh, Usain Bolt award every game of whoever just was constantly running away from bullshit all the time? And it was Bando. Like every time he played, he got the Usain Bolt award. But I mean, it was a good tournament. It asked, any chance Sneaky signs anywhere or where a good fit would be? The main point I made regarding this topic was that Sneaky has a lot of things wrong with his play, but he's a very smart player, and I tend to give it a lot of weight when other professional players vouch for someone, saying that they're good and smart and they know what they're doing. Uh, in this case, it was double lift specifically that had uh, a lot of thing, a lot of good things to say about Sneaky. Where a good fit would be, uh, I think the best fit would be FlyQuest because I think Ignar is very, very good, and Sneaky may or may not be better than Wild Turtle. Uh, that was the old, that was like the best fit to me, but uh, the rest of the guys had some other thoughts on it as well. So unfortunately, we lost the recording. There's a little filler uh, introduction to it. The other guys had some thoughts on this as well. Sorry if this seems a little disconnected, but we're going to go back to the original recording now. He's a top. Ignar is like a top three. So, yeah, top three support in the league too. So like it, it's, and we all know lanes determined by support. So like, uh, yeah, I think that'd be a great spot for him to just come in. But yeah, I kind of agree with you in terms of the. Like, it feels like he's adjusted to the streaming lifestyle. Like I, I go to sleep and like open up Twitch, and he like streams at like one a.m. to like seven a.m. Like really weird, like sleeping. Yeah, that, that's kind of how I feel is, like, he might be good enough to be on a team, but I don't know why. Like, it doesn't seem like he really wants to. He's doing what he's doing well. He's got a huge follower base from streaming, and all of his cosplaying and stuff has grown him, like, a huge fan base. I don't think he really needs to get back on a team, and I'm not sure that he's good enough anyway. So it's kind of a, like, you know, why bother when he's already doing well? Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 kind of interesting because I, I... – I tend to respect pro players' opinions of other pros, maybe not necessarily reads on the game all the time, but game like professional players' opinions of other players always make me question what I'm seeing. I don't necessarily take it as gospel, but it makes me like rethink it and approach it again. I do think it'd be interesting having Ignar over Zazel because Ignar is kind of I think a more well-rounded player. Like he's not a liability in lane like Zazel's been. So. And I think Zazel's been better this season than he was last year, so maybe that was a big part of it. I, I don't know; it's hard. It's hard to tell. Um, I think that's probably the best fit, though. Besides, like one of the bad teams, but even the bad teams have like prospects that they want to be playing instead. So, um, a month into Valorant, what are your thoughts and what are you hearing about the game? So, disclosure: I have not played it. Frankly, I don't have that much interest in playing it because I'm I'm a curmudgeonly old man, and I know my lane and I stick to my lane and I, I I don't I don't diversify a lot I don't play a lot of games guys I play like I play league I'll mix it up with some TFT once in a while and then like maybe like one week a year I'll fire up the Madden franchise mode or a civilization like AI game or like a single player game for like a weekend for the most part I don't play other games I kind of stick to what I I know so I'm not the person to ask about this that said watching it a little bit everything I'm hearing about it Seems all positive except for like the 
I think the meme has kind of gone a little bit too far. Like the going pro and Valorant meme seems to have gone a little bit too far. I don't understand entirely why all these people are just like all in committed to like, oh yeah, this is just going to be a thing. When you don't know if it's going to be a thing. Like that part's a little weird to to me. It kind of has to be, doesn't it? Like Riot has the money. They'll make it a thing if they want to make it a thing. I don't, I don't see like, it's going to be, it has enough eyes on it that if they want to make it a thing, I think it's going to be a thing. I think it'd be pretty hard for it to fail. I think it's going to be pretty hard for it to do worse than Overwatch is doing. Yeah. So having any Overwatch player go over there, or if you're a CSGO player that's not currently playing in the majors, why not take a shot at another game that has a shot to be the biggest game in the world of its kind? Yeah. But my my general thought would just be that it's, it's going to be a thing if they want it to be a thing. Riot's very, very good at this. Very, very good at setting up leagues and tournaments and making it look great. And if they they want the capital to do it too. Yeah. I think if they want to make it a thing, it will be. Josh. Uh, it's initial like day or whatever on Twitch too. It had like over a million viewers, and like you don't see that with every new game, right? So that, that, that I think that it definitely I agree with John. It will be a thing. I think there's also something with CS:GO. Like I, I don't entirely understand, but it's like split between ESL and Flashpoint now. So like maybe that causes some people to just want to commit to another game that has like one standardized CS:GO players like don't it's not like league where they play in one league all the time they just have to participate in a bunch of different tournaments hosted by a bunch of different companies it's like poker so, right yeah so they don't like they don't have a consistent job necessarily like at any point flashpoint can just go out of business and then esl can just go out of business and there's nowhere for them to play like they don't have an organized league like league does so i think that made, you're right i think they see what riot's doing and the kind of money that the guys are making playing league of legends through riot and through the lcs and stuff and they're like if i have a chance to get that I'd much rather do that than what we're doing in Counter Strike. Calvin, what do you what do you think about like just because you're more familiar with just like shooter game, like MLG type environments? What do you think about like the introduction of a new game to the space and how it changes things? Uh, basically, it's just a lot of like washed up pros from like Rainbow Six, CS:GO, or just CS in general, and Overwatch, and most of them are going to probably dominate the pro scene. And I know they've been hosting a lot of, like, tournaments for Valorant already. And it's a really good game. I've played it. Um, it. It's just the servers have just been awful. I think it's just the Riot servers in general, though. So, but, like, the concept of it, just using the abilities and uh, being able to, like, to just peek corners. And I don't know. Like, it's it's a really fun game. It's honestly a fun game. And it could go a lot farther because the guns are pretty balanced. Um, It just feels so – it just feels smooth. And I think there's more tactics than what people see compared to CSGO. So, so, like, it's actually good. It's not just hyped up. Like, you think it's actually yeah. pretty good? It's just because I think people were afraid of, like, how the abilities would work. And I think each different, like, champion and, like, their abilities, like, work just fine. Like, no one's, like, that OP, you know? So, I think they did a good job of it. The gun balance is perfect. Like, they're really, like, they're, I really don't have a problem with, like, getting, like, bullshitted, so. so I haven't you... played it. Oh, I was gonna say, I haven't, I haven't played it at all. Uh, would you say that the the abilities that the people have are like highly important. Like, is it more like CS:GO or more like Overwatch? I was gonna say, like, where on the spectrum is it? Like, on Counter Strike to Rainbow Six to to so like Rainbow Six Siege. For those that don't know, it's like a like a class based shooter as well. To like, yeah, Overwatch being like the more extreme version of it. I, I it honestly it just falls in the middle. Like the guns that you use are more Counter Strike feeling, and the abilities are not. 
your like your ultimate basically is essentially just like a one shot kill. You know what I mean? But like the other abilities are just like smoke grenades and then like uh like just like regular grenades in general. So okay, it's not something like where like you slow them down or anything. You know what I mean? It's more like smoke stuns and stuff like that. Yeah, I just I haven't played it. I've just watched a little bit and be like, oh, this like looks pretty neat. But it's hard to tell like when you're watching like how impactful some of the stuff actually is without actually being in in the you know on the front lines and all. But it's good to hear that it's actually good. Like it looks it looks sweet. Like I I totally get the hype, but I do think people are going a little bit overboard. Just like immediately be like I'm abandoning everything else and going all in on this. But you know what? I bet those people are going to get the first fat paychecks. I'm so you, so who am I to criticize, yeah. right? It's a bunch of washed-up pros, and like when when all these like pros come back in, like they're it's gonna get it's gonna get big. It's 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 how it's gonna be. So that's the first generation before the ten-year-olds take over, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. All, all the Fortnite players. <laughs> Fortnite World Cup was so brutal for me. Like they, oh look, it's it's Mike So, one of the big favorites, and he's like eleven years old. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but it, you know what's weird though? Isn't that kind of badass? It's pretty cool. At the same time, like, when I see someone win, like, a big championship, I want to, like, know that they appreciate it, like, that they worked really hard for this and appreciate it. I just feel like these, like, 11-year-olds just have no concept of, like, how much run good they've had to be here. (laughs) It, like, just doesn't mean enough to them. They didn't have to go work at the fucking grocery store for five years while grinding overnight to try to get good. You know, they're just, oh, you know, mom put me on the iPad, you know, so I'm here. I still kind of think it's it's just kind of badass that you can actually do that now. Like, that just wasn't an option before. Yeah, that, that um, part. Um, so thank you for the questions at Matt24Ray. Thank you very much. Uh, a couple good ones there. Vano, uh, we'll we'll do the last one, and then we'll do Harvey's last. So we'll do this. I'll skip down to this one, and then we'll do Harvey's last, because I want to kind of go a little in-depth on that, and then we'll call it a night. So at FantasyRStats says, how important is the enemy team and what they are giving up to certain positions compared to the team and its players when projecting metrics like kill over unders and fantasy points. So I think what he means is uh, how important is like how much weight do you put on what the enemy team gives up to a position? I guess we'll say we'll put it in terms of fantasy points for DFS purposes. I'm assuming that was like the primary focus of the question. Um, do you focus a lot on like because like I know in football there's like. Uh, last year it was play every tight end against the Arizona Cardinals because if you just played every tight end blind, it was like by far tight end one. Didn't even matter who it was. Uh, is there a lot of that in League of Legends, or is it more based on like the team metric? Is it based on draft? Uh, There's like a pretty concise answer to this. I mean, the draft matters a lot. Yeah. Like we, we even had a lot of the newer guys coming in that were talking about like, God, I hate when my fucking support plays Tom Kench. <laughs> like guaranteed like seven fantasy points when they play Tom Kench, but. Um, the general answer is what happen- what both what the t- enemy team gives up and what your team does are both pretty important, but I would weight it towards your team because winning teams tend to dictate the pace of games. And if the winning team is a very aggressive team, then they will be very aggressive when they're winning. And if the winning team is very passive, they will probably win very passively. And so <clears throat> they, they get to decide the pace of the game more so than the losing team. So I would weight it a little bit towards the team that's going to win the game. But it's they're both very important. The other, the more concise answer is keep watching John's Twitter, and you will get more intel on this. I guarantee. Yeah, very true. Oh my god. <laughs> um, Cal, any thoughts on that one? Uh, no thoughts. I don't know, like. It, you got. You just got to be careful about drawing correlations. 
like a direct correlations because it's almost never that direct. Sometimes it is. It's just like a matchup that you know it's not in your control. Once the lineups are submitted, the draft is out of your control basically. So, but like a lot of that kind of stuff, like it it matters. But I agree with these guys. Like it's it's more about the result and the teams involved and like the overall picture than it is on an individual level. I would I would say. Like any sports DVP, the most important ones are the very heavy outliers. So, like, you mentioned Arizona. The other one, I know, like, at least early on in this most recent LAC split, it was, like, mids against humanoid because they had the whole meme, like, and humanoid died or whatever, like, the, the whole thing that LAC broadcasted. So, like, it, it's more about those being able to identify those outliers than any sort of generalistic trends because um, there's no, like you said, no one-size-fits-all at all. I had a taste of every single top laner against the Shy basically the entire season because he had he just has games where he feeds nine kills and the top laner is probably going to be involved in every single one of those. So like outliers like that are what you want to keep an eye out for. Just like if you're if you're talking like you know small margins it's it's probably not a big deal. Um thank you for the question at Fantasy R Stats. Now, so we have Oh, we already, I put this one down. We already got this one. But uh, So, at once, Harvey asked a really, really good question that um, could honestly be a topic all its own. So, that's why we saved it for last. Uh, let's just go into it. It's kind of a little heavier duty here. So, he says, with a clear separation between top, the top teams in the LEC and LCS. Did I read that right? Yeah. Uh, do you believe more teams should adopt playing pocket or off-meta picks? Uh, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna read this whole question because there's a lot going on here, and that kind of all the answers are gonna tie in. So he says, "Could the players on? Uh, could the players? I wrote this down wrong. Could players on a comfort champion help them overcome the talent disparity? Uh, what will it take for more teams to adopt methods like this?" And he gave me some context on this, which is that he's been watching more Dota too, and he feels like more teams and players are willing to take comfort champions there. Uh, we've seen Vipers Riven in League. But he doesn't feel like most teams are willing to make that kind of take that kind of risk, and he thinks that that seems like a mistake to him. So, lots to unpack here, uh, and I, I kind of started responding to this on Twitter, and like I was like, oh yeah, short answer is five tweets later, you know, like so I was like, oh, I guess it's not really a short way to do this. So, uh, I think before we dive into actually answering this, I think you we need we need context on the big differences between Dota and League of Legends. Um, uh, so to me, you could go into the nitty gritty about the game denial movement, all that stuff. That's fine. There's clear differences. You can, there's, they're well documented. You can look into them on your own from a big picture perspective. To me, there's, there's two main differences in between these two games. One is the balance approach, like the balance philosophy of the two, uh, organiz- uh, companies that own the game and how they approach balancing the game. Uh, so Riot tends to do a lot of micro, I call them micro patches, small adjustments very frequently every two weeks. Uh, so they'll make like small adjustments, whereas Valve will let the game develop more and then they make, they make larger changes in lo- in longer intervals. So they tend to let the metagame figure itself out, so to speak. Um, and the reason that happens is because of another big picture topic I wanted to bring up first to give some context. And that is that 
by its nature, Dota is a significantly more powerful game. That's like the only way I can I can like the only word I could come up with to really describe it. Everything's more exaggerated in Dota. Um, just like for comparison, for people that don't know, in League of Legends, Ash is a really old uh, an OG champion. Ash's ultimate is a really long cooldown, stuns for up to two and a half seconds if you hit like a max range, like the high range on it. Right, will stun a target for two and a half seconds. There's a champion in Dota that does that every ten seconds. So, it's like not even an ultimate ability. It's just a character that you have that can do that every ten seconds. Josh is cracking up. He's—I don't think he realizes he's muted. Maybe he does. No, yeah, I, I, people didn't hear me cackling, but I would just be absolutely livid. Priestess of the Moon, dude. Priestess of the Moon can do it. Like maybe it's like fifteen seconds. I might be exaggerating. I, I haven't played in a while, so that's just like one comparison, right? In Dota, a carry can quite literally one v five. Like, without any help, if they get fed enough. That's a thing that can happen. Like, the hyper-carries in that game are really big hyper-carries, because everything is, like, more stat-based. So, there's also items in that game that can just cancel things out. So, in League, the closest equivalent we have is Quicksilver Sash, which is an item that you can get that you can activate to cleanse all CC abilities on you, right? Um, it's really inconvenient to itemize into for a lot of characters. Dota has an item called... Uh, I think it's Black King's Bar is the one that cleanses everything. Uh, it's much easier to build, much more common. There's also an item called Yule Scepter, which is literally just Zephyr from TFT, which is just like a point and click. This target is up in a tornado for a couple seconds. You're just CC'd. You can't do anything in it. And it's just an item that you can build. Anybody can build it. So overall, across the board, everything is way more amplified in power. Some people think that's better. Some people think that's worse. That's a different discussion. But that's some of the context we need for this because I think when you're going to go into this discussion big picture, you need to understand that while the games are similar in their base and their core, and I think at the high level they're both extremely complex games and they're they're great, uh, you need to understand that this is a little bit apples and oranges. So first there's that. The reason you see more off-meta picks in, in Dota is because when everything is more extreme, and this is in any game, you'll find this in any game, card games, uh, auto battle, like auto chess games, uh, even MOBAs, but you see this in, in Dota especially, when everything is so far like at those margins of power, the counter picks and the matchups and things that you can do are more amplified because everything else is more amplified. So if you get a counter pick... In Dota, it's a way, way more impactful thing than a, than a counter pick in League. Just in general, that's not always the case, but just in general, uh, like I think in League of Legends, we think counter picks. We've seen people beat counter picks before. It happens all the time. All you have to do is survive it. You pick a counter pick to have leverage early in the game more than to counter stuff late most of the time, right? So when everything's exaggerated, the counter picks get more exaggerated. That's one thing. Then you have this these items. That's another angle. Um, without getting too far into the weeds, that's kind of why you see more off-meta and pocket picks. The other reason you see a lot of this stuff is that up until recently, for the most part, Dota has been a tournament game. It's not been a league-based game, meaning that a lot of these teams will play domestically, like on the ladder. They'll put together a couple teams from guys that they met on the ladder and play in a tournament. And that's that's been the structure of Dota for a long time. There have been smaller leagues that have popped up, but only recently has have they really been pushing like the league format, like we know the LCS and the LEC. 
So when you have smaller tournaments like that, you get a lot of guys that you just know from the ladder, a lot more specialists, a lot more, um, you know, they can, they're willing to take chances at a tournament because this is they're going to be their big shot, right? That's another angle to this whole thing. There's a whole lot of reasons you, you see more of that in League of Legends. Now, do you guys have anything on that? Because then I want to tie this back to League of Legends. Yeah, no, nothing on that portion. Okay. Tying it back into League of Legends. Why don't we see more comfort picks? I'll let one of you two take over this conversation because I can take a sip of water. I'm not. So I I think the it's hard to say why we don't see more comfort picks. I think we don't see more comfort picks because the general thought process going around in the, in the coaching and pro leagues is like these guys are just better. They're, they do what we need to do better than other champions do right now. So we should try to learn them. Um, but I will say, I've been saying for years that I really think that more teams should be trying to bust out stuff and not necessarily just one pick but whole compositions like you can pick whole weird compositions that better teams are not used to dealing with. And I really do think you can negate part of their skill edge. You're going to, you can, you might reduce your chances of winning the lanes. They might snowball on you because you're in some kind of weird matchups because you're playing these off meta champions, but you can catch, like you can catch people off guard with some weird stuff. I, I bring it up on the podcast every once in a while, but there was compositions back in season three. They called them the curse of the sad bullet time compositions that played a Moomoo and Malphite and misfortune. And they just wamboed your whole team if they hit you. Like, if they could catch three of you in an Amumu stun, then you're all getting Malphite stunned. The whole time this is happening, you're all getting Misfortune ulted, and your whole team just dies. And you could put together some cool compositions like that. And a lot of these guys, yeah, and a lot of these guys are not practiced in playing against those. They haven't played against them recently. You, they might not be as practiced at making sure to stay away from each other during the team fights to not get ulted by, you know, not have three of you get ulted by Amumu. So I definitely think you could negate some of the skill edge that the better teams have by playing weird stuff that they're not used to playing against or go all in on the early game. We don't even see teams do that enough. Go don't just go Elise and then put in a zero in the mid lane, just play all early game champions, go Elise, Zed Pantheon, you know, with a, with a kill bot lane and just try to just run them over. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but you know, they're not used to playing against it really. And you, you have a reasonable shot at negating something that way. So I definitely think teams should be doing that, especially if they're not very good. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't, oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say it's quick. It's just I don't know if like a like picking it off like meta champion. I, I feel like I mean it's not that bad, but like I don't know. Now that like obviously it's a, it's a team game, so I feel like it's just even though like you're mechanically really good at a champion, it just could compositionally would screw up the entire draft. You know what I mean? So I, I mean, unless you're all just gonna play solo queue, everyone's gonna pick their own comfort champions. So I don't know. It's kind of kind of weird yeah i would just say like even some of the stuff john mentioned is still pretty prevalent today like Tarek master Lee is still like the highest win rate duo in solo queue right even in challenger so like i, I don't I, i'm I, i'm actually mind blown that i've never seen a master Yi game in pro play and i, I mean I, I haven't been watching that long but like master Yi is one of the best scaling champions in the game and especially recently with the changes to Borg, like, became absolutely even more broken. So, like, it's actually mind-boggling that we don't see these bad teams with, like, really good jump. Like, like Golden Guardians, for example, right? Just put closer on Master Yi. Yeah, and- give me a funnel game. Play Tarek. Yeah. Play KL. KL Yi is another one that you can do. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it, it is surprising me. And I do think when we see, to to go back to, like, the larger part of the question, like, I do think when we see these off-meta champions and comfort picks, people that are playing one-tricks, come into play, 
I think it actually has had decent success. Like we saw with Ixu, we talked about before the show. Um, I would argue that Viper is a one-trick Riven player, and he absolutely dominated Immortals when he played Riven. Uh, I think there are – like, I think we've seen these things have good success. Like, even – um, who was it? Rogue in the playoffs when Finn pulled out his Kled just absolutely dumpstered the, those matchups. Like, I think these things do have spots where they can just be used. And especially, like, when you're on red side or something and you have a player that has this pocket pick, I don't know why you wouldn't wouldn't want to do it. So, Yeah, I think there's there's a couple layers that – I mean, there's this, this question has a boatload of layers to it. But there's a lot of things that I think people don't think about with this. Um, so, one is, like, the opportunity cost of it. This is presumably – you know, with certain champions, you just, like, you can't play them out of context. Like, you have to have a composition that's built around it, which means you have to put practice time into this, and you need someone that's exceptional if they're if it's, if it's like, a low-tier character. There's certain characters that I think are in the middle, like, on the fringe, that, like, you could just play in most compositions, and it's okay. I think Kled's actually one of those. You can play Kled in a lot of different compositions, which is why you see him from time to time. Um... You can play a Lowey in like any kind of split push situation a lot of time, um, but there's other characters like uh, I'm just trying to think, like Heimerdinger, right? Heimerdinger is an example that we've seen a lot, like last year, like the eighty carry Heimerdinger was a thing for a little while. Uh, top lane Soraka is another one. Now that one's also a little more like certain characters. The Heimerdinger is the example I'm going to use, or Kale. Kale's another one. I'll use Kale as a good example too. These are characters that involve like a very specific way to play around them. And that's time that you need to devote to them in practice. That's time that that individual player is not practicing other stuff. So there is an opportunity cost to all this, which I think is a big, like the main reason you don't, that that's like 75% of why you don't see a lot of this stuff is there's an opportunity cost to spending the time practicing it. If you're a bad team, I would make the argument that, yeah, if you, if you're in like a, like, playoffs must win do or die situation and there's really nothing to lose yeah i think go for it but if you're a team that starts the season off like you know one in ten you're not making playoffs it's summer split it doesn't do anything for you to win some games even for morale if you're not actually improving so just busting out i think people assume that it's it's a lot easier to bust out these picks just like it's a free roll than it actually is because they don't incorporate the fact that there's the opportunity cost of time and time is so important to these players. So to get to a level where you're that good on like a tier two or tier three champion against challenger level players already takes thousands of hours, thousands and thousands of hours. Right. Uh, I mean, I, speaking from experience, I'm, I'm a niche champion player. I'm a, I was a Karthus one trick. I'm a Karthus one trick, right? I've played thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of of Karthus. I have an edge against people that don't know how to play against it correctly. It's still really, really hard, and it took me thousands of hours devoting to do that, right? Pro players don't have time to do that, even if it's something that they came up doing, which is why you see a lot of these guys abandon their picks a lot of the time. So that's one thing I think that people don't bring up, and the other thing is, like, the team angle as well. Like... You can't just play a lot of these things, even if they're they're cute and cool and whatever. You have to build comps around a lot of these niche champions, right? Most of the champions that you don't need to build around, or that are pretty easy to build around, like Cogmall's an easy one, right? Cogmall's pretty easy to build around. We saw G2 do that in the European Finals. I thought it was a brilliant solution to the 
you know, we're just going to handshake bottom lane. You don't want to handshake against Cogmore. He's going to outscale you. So we see some of this stuff, but a lot of times it's the strategies that are easier to incorporate that only take a small amount of extra practice to put in to do. And the teams that we see do that are the teams that already have good fundamentals to begin with, right? G2 can do whatever they want. You know why? Because G2 can play whatever they want, and they're going to be good at whatever they want to be doing. They already have that foundation. When If you don't have that foundation and you start wasting time on all this stuff, you're, you're not actually improving. You're just cheesing people. And even if it's focused practice and not just like a cheese strategy, you got to remember that like if you're not good and that's what you're doing, even if we want to see them win games and do some weird stuff, that's a cost to these players. That's time that they're not spending getting better, which plays into if they're going to get a job next season, plays into maybe if it's spring season, how they're going to be in summer. Because you got to treat all these games as practice, right? So I think there's a lot more costs associated with all this stuff than people want to give credit for just because we want to be entertained, right? I think that's like that's the thing that people forget about with all this stuff. But uh, that said, I do think we could see a little bit more of it. Uh, I, th- I think teams are a little too conservative, uh, especially to play stuff that's like just like a counter pick in general. That's like not that hard to incorporate into something. Cogmall, um, Bard. Finally, how long did it take us to see Bard this season? Like the second, it took like halfway through the season for us to finally start seeing Bard as a counter to these huge frontline teams, right? So, and like he's been a thing. They didn't buff Bard. Nothing changed. People have known that's how to beat these kind of things, and nobody was doing it. So. Uh, Leandries, uh, instead of Morello's, like that kind of stuff. Like there's all these like small things that people do that like everyone's slow to adapt because everyone's set in the status quo. Right. And you see, see that a lot in traditional sports too, where it takes someone being successful with something new to, to, you know, break that barrier a little bit and get people to buy in. But yeah, it's, there's, there's a whole bunch to this too. Um, there's, there was one other thing I wanted to mention that I don't remember. Oh, one other thing is like confirmation bias too with this is that people remember the times when it wins, they never remember when it loses. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say is like the downside is much worse because if and I know this just from like following like even like football analytics, but like um so like the the whole argument is like, you know, you should always get as many draft picks as you as you can. And then everyone's like, Oh yeah, but every single one of them busted, so and, and it's like, well, really, that's that's the reason that you do it because you know you're going to have a high bust rate. But when people want to find the reason for something to fail and they see it fail, then they're just going to latch on to that. So, like, right, like if we see someone – if we see Vitality run a master euteric funnel and then just get bodied, realistically, like, we know that's not that much different than what would have happened anyways. But – People will be like, oh, well, now you're trying something stupid, and now you just look stupid, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, but if they win, they're geniuses, right? Exactly. So that's what's the tough part is, like, the downside. I think I think a lot of people – it's like the the human, like, uh, loss aversion, I think is what it's called. Uh, It's the human tendency to to remember losses much more strongly. John probably knows this really well from poker. Uh, You know, like, when you lose a bad beat, like, you only want to talk about your bad beat, but you never want to talk about the you're, you're never talking about when you win with pocket aces, exactly. right? like yeah. or when you, yeah, he's right though. You know, you don't talk about like you know how many times someone loses on like the final table over near final table of a tournament where their aces get cracked. And they're like, God, I run so fucking bad. But the only reason they're even there is because they just ran insanely hot for the last seven hours, or else they wouldn't even be near the final table. So, yeah. but people don't like to think about it about it that way. You're right. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's important when you're criticizing weird picks not to criticize whether it wins or loses. You criticize like 
again, the context of everything, right? Like, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, the two that pop to mind are Teacher Ma in the playoffs against Knight. Obviously, Knight's a better player, so this is a little bit weird, but they saw the Syndra. They didn't ban the Syndra. They picked Aurelian Soul into the Syndra after seeing it in the first game, right? Or second game, I think it was. They picked it in the third game. That's not good for him. You're picking it because of his comfort and because, like, that's what you do. They should have made an adjustment there. That was, like, that That you can criticize the context. I'm not criticizing him as an Aurelian Soul player. Obviously, he's good at it. I can criticize the context there. I'm not criticizing Aurelian Soul, the champion. I'm criticizing the the situation of playing it against a, a matchup that he's not going to be able to roam in, right? Uh, Dan Dan with the Nocturne top. That went horribly wrong. I don't think it fit anything in that game. Like, I, I don't know where that fit. It was just a weird... Hey, let's do this thing because it's cool. That's what it felt like to me when they did that. Like it, it, to me, it didn't fit the comp they were doing. I'm trying to remember. Like I remember writing about it and just being really pissed because it just didn't fit anything. Like it made no sense whatsoever, right? So you should be critical of the context in which you see these things, not necessarily of the pick itself. Because sometimes people play weird picks and it's going to lose because it's a tier three champion, right? Or because the team knew how to deal with it. Don't always judge it entirely on that, but. Yeah, this is, dude. I I could I could talk. I mean, if you want to, you could even tie this back into all different games and and stuff like that. Like, this is kind of the argument of. I mean, we'll tie it to one other game. I'll tie it to like Magic, right? Like, if you're going to show up to a modern tournament, like a constructed tournament with an inferior deck, you need to you need to have a damn good reason for doing that, or you're not allowed to expect to win with it. Yeah, I will say, like, you can see the. You can see the examples of that in Magic too. I think that's actually a really great example because I played a deck that was not always Tier 1 my entire Magic career. In Modern, I played the same deck the entire time, and it was not always a Tier 1 deck. And you could see where you were getting advantages. It wasn't every matchup, but when you when you played against people that were playing the quote-unquote best deck, you definitely saw tons of spots where people didn't know correctly how to play against you, and you knew exactly how to play against them because you have so many reps on this deck, and you've seen it so many times. But... You're t- you are taking a like a you're starting every match at a slight disadvantage because their deck is just better than yours, yeah, and so you have to be able to make up for that with how good you are at your deck. And sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. Yeah. I mean, I took my the, my pet deck the the last time I played it at the Pro Tour. I think I went seven three. So you know you can do it for sure. Yeah, and but you were it, playing. You were playing. I think you played Burn, right? Yeah, I played like Burn. Burn. Burn is like. A, like a high tier two deck like it's like very good like it's yeah. almost always a top 10 deck right and mine was even spicier than normal i had all kinds of weird shit in mind that was specific to how i like yeah. to play so but if like you're showing up with like i mean honestly so i play too i play bad decks <laughs> and i know i do but again like you you get advantages from just the weird factor but you you have to you have to overplay slash run good to such a degree over the course of a tournament that you got to ask yourself if the time, the investment time of time is worth it to you. Now, for me, it is because, you know, while I compete, it's a more casual thing for me. But a lot of these professional players, they're not going to – is it really worth it for me to put 100 games in on Twisted Fate if we're going to play it twice? Yeah. Like, you can make the argument, yeah, because if you bust it out those two times and you roll over on it and it's awesome, that's cool. Um, but, like, you got to ask yourself about the investment of time. Now, a lot of these guys have been playing for a long time and they have – it's about refreshing things, but I don't think people realize that when you're at the highest level, when the, the margins are so thin, like so razor thin, you have to know every matchup. You have to know how it interacts with the rest of the game. That's why these guys focus on one role. That's why you don't see as much uh, like filling or role swapping as, as people 
honestly, the past year, it's been crazy how much of it we've seen. But a lot of it's because the mid and top lane have been kind of homogenized a little bit. But that's like a whole other angle is it people give I think people just assume that all these guys can do this. And a lot of times they can because they're very good. But like to do this, like to have that kind of consistency to just bust out a random pick without putting a boatload of hours into it to know all the matchups, know the context. Uh, I think it's kind of errant thinking to assume that that's just a thing you can easily do. Right. Oh, we've done this before too. If you're a one trick and you watch LCS games or something, you can catch people not playing your champion correctly. If they, if they randomly pick your champion or not playing it as well as in theory, you could play it. You have to be a one trick with a lot of hours to be able to get that, but you can see it sometimes. I've got my Karthus and Zillion crit- uh, criticisms of certain professional players like Ix- <laughs> named Ixu playing Zillion. <laughs> I have my, like, yeah, like, you can catch stuff like that, that. And it just goes to show you, like, these guys don't always put all the research in either. Sometimes they do, and you can tell the people that do. I kind of think like the these niche strategies are better when you're setting yourself up for it in a way that like we're gonna practice this champion because I know that this team is gonna draft this if we if we do these bands. That's where I think it's better. Where that it's like a- it's like a very targeted, you know, it's like chemotherapy or something like that. Where it's like this is a very targeted, you know, removal of something, right? As opposed to like. Oh yeah, I'm just going to practice this just because we'll use it at some point. I think it's better in that kind of context. Yeah, that was the Whippo Singe game. What you just said, basically, right? They knew set on release was very overpowered. They knew he has to run at you to play the game, and he said, "Okay, who's the only champion in the game that you can't run at?" Singed. Okay, it made a lot of sense. Hard's not my lane. I'm going to proxy the ways when I know I know how to because I'm a pro player. I can talk to any one trick I want to about it, et cetera, et cetera. And he hard stomped that lane. So, like, yeah, I, I definitely think that there's context, right? Like, something you need to consider. But I, I do think it's surprising we don't see these things more often. And I, I also think it's important to, to draw a line. Like, you're saying, like, <clears throat> very specifically, like, these champs that are, like, you know, tier three, tier four champions in pro play. But, like, there are a lot of good champions that are, like, tier two or even fringe tier one that we really don't ever see. Yeah. And that. That's what blows my mind. Like you mentioned, like the cleft came to mind, but like a lot of champions like that that we don't see, um, like Poppy, Poppy's one, for example, for me. Yep. Like there are so many champions in the game, like especially with, with how prevalent Jarvan was this most recent split, how prevalent Lee Sin was, uh, you know, you name it. Even like Aatrox has a dash. Um, Some of them are because those champions are, are not conducive to pro play. Like I think the Master Yi was a good example that like, the champion's really, really good, but he's a lot better if your opponents are uncoordinated and not working together on how to stop you, like in solo queue. When all five of the opponents are like, we just need the first thing we do in every fight is we land a stun on this Yi, and then we just kill him in one second, and then we continue the fight. And they're coordinated and good enough to do that. He becomes a lot tougher to play. You could still play him, for sure. He's harder to play, but you could do it. I think one of the ones that sticks out to me for that is Cho'Gath. Yeah. Where Cho'Gath is... Against certain teams, if they have like a really big front line that's relatively, if they're if you're playing against like Orn, Sejuani, you know, and a tank support, Cho'Gath is ridiculous because it's really easy to hit your rupture and you can kill any one of those targets with your team with the true damage on your ultimate. But you can't just roll a Cho'Gath out there any you know willy nilly just because you think it's good against tanks and you're assuming they're going to pick tanks, right? Because 
hitting a rupture against a professional player is a challenge by itself, right? Like that's, I think like that's another thing is that people, you see this with professional sports too. People tend to watch through the lens that they know, right? Oh, I've seen this character pop off in solo queue games. I can relate to this situation, right? Why don't we see Katarina every game? Right? If it, if this is based on your solo queue experiences, why don't we see Katarina every game? There's very specific reasons you don't see Katarina every game, right? But like, yeah, I, it, there, there's so many layers. This was a really, really good question because I, I think there's just, there's so many layers to it. And like, Harvey, if you've got any other like individual stuff that you want to like message me about, like I could go on for days and days about this because it's like an infinitely complex question that has, you know, people are going to think differently about. I kind of think the reason you don't see more of the, I, I, let's like put a bow on this, right? The reason you don't see more like low tier, like really off the wall champions is because of the time constraint on both the individual player and the team to learn how to play around that character. Uh, I think the main reason you don't... That said, I think you probably should be seeing more of these Tier 2 and, like, fringe Tier 3 kind of champions more, but teams are just over-conservative. So I think it's a little bit of both is, like, the real... Unfortunately, the the real complicated answer to this whole thing, right? Let me see some more Echo Jungle. Come on. Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to see some other weird stuff. Play Carthus Jungle instead of Elise. How many times have we got to say it? Teemo can pop off, dude. They can play Teemo. Teemo there's a there's a um there's a challenger mid Teemo one trick that's like it's unbelievable. <laughs> we got rank one. He got rank one. <laughs> it's unreal. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was really the, the one thing I will say that I was appreciative of uh, Senna for was like we got to see supports playing other champions. I thought that was really cool. Like the one that sticks out the most to me, honestly, is the Zazel Rumble game. Was just nuts. Dude, he was insane. No way, was... the, the volley bear. I don't KT the KT volley bear was like the oh, sickest okay, one. Okay. The KT volley bear where he two he won the solo lanes by himself was the sickest. Yeah, I love I love the whole like volley bear into Yumi every time we've ever seen that. But but yeah, I don't know. I love that sound brought that wrinkle. Uh, to the to the game, um, so that that I think, you know, I think we're kind of trending in the right way. But yeah, I still think there's a lot of room to grow. Seeing more of the mage supports, I think more people need to be doing that because it's really really powerful. Yeah. But like even like uh, the John special, the MF support. Yeah, dude, I love MF support, and it was a it was a world staple one year. I'll say I'll say this too, just to call. I mean, let's do the the full the real full circle and call this back to Dota. The one thing that Dota has is that it's a way way more malleable game than League is. You can play three people in a lane in Dota. It's not always great, but if you really want to shut someone down, you can actually do that, right? Um, you can have, like, a full-on roaming support. You can have, like, there's there's all sorts of, like, really weird off-the-wall stuff you can do in that game to completely shut someone out of the game. Uh, you see a lot of melee hyper-carries. You don't see melee hyper-carries in League almost ever anymore. Like, once in a while you'll see a Jax, but, like, Master Yi... Like, a lot of, like, the agility carries in Dota are just, like, basically Master Yi on, like, steroids. So, there's a lot of stuff like that. Like, obviously the games are different, but, like, it's more malleable just in the in its design. But that also, you know, there, there's bad things about that, too. It's extremely tough to balance because everything's really powerful. So, if something really gets really, really busted, it's you're stuck with it for a while. So, yeah. I, really, really interesting question. That, that honestly, jeez, we spent, like half an hour on that one i think it was worth it because it's an awesome question like there's a lot of layers to it but and i think that's good too because that's an that's a question we get asked all the time like oh why don't we see this champion why don't we see this champion now we can point to this and be like 
this is a long discussion of why you don't see this stuff more often. So, all right. Um, I think that's going to be it for us this week. Uh, <laughs> John's pick of the week last week was night. None of us did pick of the week because there wasn't anything going on. John's pick of the week this week is also night. So, um, yeah. Long Count story. that for a couple units. Got there. That's plus two units. <laughs> I don't know how to grade this. Oh, we need. <laughs> all right, so we'll talk about this next show because it's not happening next week. It's the week after. But we have to come up. We have to come up with the our beer bet for the night. Night versus Chovy or whatever. If, oh, we, if yeah. we say it, if we say it. Hopefully we do. Fingers crossed. Um. Yeah, I think that's going to be it for us this week, guys. Uh, what's everybody been doing outside of the, so? Like, uh, I know John, myself, and Josh are going to be writing for. John, you go ahead and announce it. You, you've been doing. You've been yeah, doing. Yeah, that was going to be my sign off anyway. My end of the show is uh, for anybody that hasn't heard about it. I don't know who that would be, but the esports department, baby. The esports department. We're getting fired up in the next couple weeks here. You got me doing daily DFS breakdowns. Somebody else came up with a great idea that I thought was awesome, which is to load up some of these Eastern slates, especially, and just live stream them and talk about the DFS implications of what's going on as the slates are playing out. I'm already up watching them. Might as well stream them and talk about what's going on. Um, we got Gelati talking betting. We got Roberts's models, which you guys are going to be blown away by when you get to see them. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. We also got some CSGO guys, uh, Ryan Hodge, who I have a ton of respect for, and his CSGO content has been second to none as far as I'm concerned. Um, and we're going to have models for CSGO as well. So definitely come on in. We're going to be announcing in the next couple weeks here. We have a few more things to wrinkle out, and then uh, we'll be officially launching. And uh, I really hope everybody uh, pops in with us and joins us for the Discord channel, all kinds of stuff for everybody to hang out in. So come join us at the esports department, baby. I'm ready to go. I'm super stoked. I'm like super duper stoked for it. Uh, still, what was so? What, what, uh, Cal, are you still doing Roto Grinders? Yeah, uh, yeah, Roto Wires. Yeah, that's it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, congrats, I always mix yeah. all. I always mix all the Rotos up for every sport. I always mess it up, dude. It happens. Yeah, I know. Congrats, to you guys. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm still running a Roto Wire for now, filling in for some CS:GO and uh, some Call of Duty action. So doing any KBO? <laughs> I know you're the baseball guy. Oh, dude, I've been <laughs> profiting decently in KBO, but I honestly just cream baseball just sucks. Dude, Maybe the Japanese league, please. Can we can we just all take a second and laugh at all the the KBO touts? The <laughs> nowhere. I like. I have to. I'm sorry. Like, I don't like. I'm not a fan of it and everything, but and I don't usually bash on it. But it was too funny. It was just too funny to me to see all these people coming out of the woodwork being like, "Oh yeah, this is the this is the play for KBO." It's like, dude, you haven't watched this game. You haven't. You don't even know what Korean sounds like. Like, stop it. Yeah. Korean oh baseball. my god. Korean, Korean pitchers suck. It's just no. That's yeah, big. True. They're horrible. Like literally, just so bad. It just pisses me off to just watch a game at like four in the morning. Just seeing like a pitcher just serve up a 60 mile per hour fastball right down the middle <laughs> uh, that video from vegas dave was the best dude it was like right after all the sports got taken off and vegas dave was like i got your badminton picks i got your lawn bowling picks i, I got i got i got a 50 i got a 50 unit whale play in badminton russian badminton it's like it was, it was like badminton and like some weird country's table tennis like so like so good. you know like, Dave has never watched his whole life. All of a sudden, he's the biggest expert in the whole world on all of it. It's so good, dude. It's so good. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it, 
I, I haven't watched any Korean baseball, but uh, just seeing everybody blowing up, like it's good for the Korean baseball league. I'm happy for them. They're probably getting a boatload of random viewership now, but yeah, I don't know. It's been it's been it, these are weird times we're living in right now. So I would say just take some time, laugh at it because it is something else. <laughs> like it is really something else. So hopefully all the all the people. I know there's a podcast out there that's been doing a podcast on Korean baseball. I know it. I know there's probably a handful of them. But I know there is probably one podcast of a bunch of dudes from, like, South Carolina that are just really into Korean baseball. And you know what? You guys are fucking awesome. And you get to say you've been doing this for years, and you get to soak in it, absorb it, enjoy it. Because Somebody find the legitimate KBO podcast that's been out there for, like, three years that nobody ever watched until now. Someone find us that. I'll so retweet the shit out. out of it. Like, oh, no it's probably in Korean, if we're being honest. No, but... I'm saying, I'm saying, I want, I want like, just random dudes from Georgia that are yep, just randomly into Korean or Japanese baseball. I want to say it. If it exi- people, are into, people are just into random shit, man. So, I guarantee it exists. All right, I shouldn't guarantee that it exists, but I bet it exists. I put a beer on it. I put a beer on it. I got to find it now. That's going to be it for us, guys. Um, Thank you for all the listener questions. Keep sending them in. We always love them. Uh, And especially with – we got a couple weeks here where it's just going to be a little loosey-goosey. We're going to do, like, mailbag shows, talk big-picture topics. If you guys have any ideas for, like, uh, like evergreen topics, um, shows that we could point back to, uh, maybe discussing you know basics or fundamentals or philosophy on certain things, uh, taking ideas for topics, taking listener questions, all sorts of stuff like that. Send in your reviews because Fuhonky has the best one ever, and someone's got to one up it. So there's that. Rate, review, subscribe, follow us all on Twitter, interact with us. Have a good week. Enjoy uh, everything you guys are doing. Everybody, stay safe out there, and we'll see you guys next week. See you later, everybody. The Gold Card Podcast opening theme is Clouds by Harvey and the Hendersons. The closing theme is Wasp in a Hat by the Tea Club. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Podbean to never miss an episode.